All right, all right, all right. If you could make your way to your seats, that would be fantastic. We're gonna get going here. Uh, at this point in time, I want you to know, and I've shared this with you before, and I just shared it as we went to communion. If you don't hear anything else I say today, I want to make sure that you hear this, that God loves you. God loves you deeply and passionately. Now, last week, we started this brand new series on the Shema. If this is your first time here, um, or you missed last week, we talked about how the Shema is actually a prayer that is prayed and has been prayed by Jews for thousands of years. It's the prayer they say the first thing when they wake up in the morning, and it's the last words on their lips when they go to bed at night. In fact, traditionally, by custom, when a person dies, for a Jew, the Shema are the last words on their lips. So if you're new here, this is your first time here, you weren't here last week, it's like Shema, 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 what in the world are you talking about? Well, the Shema comes from Deuteronomy chapter 6. This prayer that they pray comes from Deuteronomy chapter 6. And it gets its name, the Shema, from the first word of that passage of scripture. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Hebrew... That Hebrew word for here is Shema. And we talked about how that word here actually means, okay, it means listen, it means hear, it, mean, it can mean focus or pay attention or, or respond. It is a word of action. And we talked about how there is a big difference between hearing and listening, right? There's a big difference there. And we also talked about, uh, as a result of this idea of hearing and listening, we asked the questions, who am I listening to? Who am I listening to? And the bigger question that we followed up with is, who do I need to tune out? Who do I need to tune out? Because there are a lot of people clamoring for our ears and our attention who want to be listened to. I was talking with Michael uh, earlier or last week, and Michael had a great point that I didn't even think of. You know, you think of all of these, uh, of these people on the internet who are influencers and trying to influence other people, or you watch TikTok, or, or you're looking at, you know, Instagram and things like that. And it's who are the people that are influencing you, the people you're watching on television, you're listening to on the radio, the books that you're reading, who are you listening to? And the bigger question is, who do you need to tune out? Because I really do believe that there probably are a lot of people that we're listening to that we really need to tune out. And there are probably a few people that you are tuning out, that you probably really should listen to. And so I want to start this morning as we talk about the Shema, this prayer. I want to start out by praying it together. So will you stand up with me? 
and the words will be on the screen. Uh, last week we gave out uh, some uh, pieces of paper like this, okay, and some smaller ones that actually have the prayer on it, and I am encouraging you to learn the prayer. It is foundational, not just for the Jews, but for us as well, and we're going to learn why about that in just a moment. But let's say this prayer together. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one, and you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul and with all of your might. Amen. You may be seated. Today we continue talking in this series about the Shema, understanding what it meant to the Jews so that we can understand why it means something to us today. God, make that so in our hearts. Help us to see why this prayer is integral to who we are today as Jesus' followers. And we pray these things in his name. Amen. Amen. So I, I read a story about a prominent politician who went to a banquet. And as the food was being served, he asked the waiter for an extra pad of butter. And the waiter said, I'm sorry, but it's just one pad per person. Well, this prominent politician got irate. He got angry. And he started to rant and rave and go on and on and on about, you know, uh, if you only knew who I am, then that would make a difference. And the waiter looked at him and said, do you know who I am? To which the politician scoffed and said, no. And the waiter responded, I'm the guy with the butter. <laughs> I love that. I love it. That, that, that politician had no idea who the waiter was. He was the guy with the butter. And the reality is that the Jews really had no idea who God was. Who their God was. And so today we take that next step in the Shema of understanding the question that the Israelites had to answer when they made the statement, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Now, Moses, one of the greatest, if not the greatest person in the Old Testament. In fact, the Old Testament at the end of Deuteronomy says that Moses was the greatest prophet to have ever lived in Israel or ever will live. He's the greatest prophet. But before he was the greatest prophet, Moses was simply a middle-aged shepherd. Now, by a show of hands, how many of you aspire to be a middle-aged shepherd? Raise your hand. No one? No one? This is Moses' life. He's a middle-aged shepherd. And for hundreds of, years, uh, hundreds of years, his kinsmen had been praying to God. You know why? Because his kinsmen were slaves in Egypt. And they'd been crying out to God for hundreds of years to say that finally God was going to answer their prayer. And they needed someone to lead this obstinate, the Bible says, stiff-necked, people out of Egypt and to the land that God had promised to Moses and Israel's forefathers and foremothers. 
Moses was the person. Moses just didn't believe it. And so when he has this this, uh, encounter with God in the desert, God lays out the entire plan of how they're going to do it, how God is going to take Egypt or Israel out of Egypt and into the promised land. And Moses kind of maybe scoffed at that. That's a great idea. But the only people who know about this plan is you and me. They're not going to, you know those people. You've watched them for hundreds of years. You know how they are. They're not going to believe me. And he asked this question. Who do I tell them sent me? That's an interesting question, isn't it? I mean, of all the questions that Moses could ask, when he says, that's a great plan, God, that we're going to leave Egypt, we're all for that, we're going to go to the promised land, but they're not going to believe me, a former prince of Egypt, a guy who killed another person in Egypt, and the reason why I'm a middle-aged shepherd out in the middle of this dumb desert is because I ran away. Who's going to believe me? But that's not his question. Asks an interesting question. Who do I say sent me? And God answers Moses by giving Moses God's personal name. God's personal name which is interesting. His personal name that he gives to Moses is Eya. Eya. Can you put that on the screen for me, please, Gus? Eya, which translated from Hebrew means I will be. Eya. And I, I can almost picture at this moment when God says his name, Moses straight up falls on the ground. Just falls on the ground. God's name is that powerful. And God says, my name is Aya, what your kinsmen, the Israelites, may call me, is Yahweh. You can call me Yahweh. And it's interesting, because Yahweh is a form of the verb, he will be. That's God's name. He will be. Or, as most of us who who know and understand the name Yahweh, it means I am. When you go to the Israelites, you tell them, I am sent you. Yahweh. Now, the short version of the historical understanding of Israel's relationship to the name Yahweh is this. You ready for this? Okay, some of you know this already. For some of us, this is going to be maybe uh, a, a new ground we're breaking. But the name Yahweh was so sacred to the Jews, you ready for this? That they wouldn't even say it. They wouldn't even say God's name, Yahweh. It was that sacred to them. In fact, they would use other names to call God based on the characteristics of God. Okay? They used the name Jehovah Jireh. 
Okay, Jehovah Jireh, which means the God who provides. They use the name El Shaddai, which means the all-sufficient one. They use the name Elohim, which means creator, powerful, mighty. They use the name Elroy, the God of the Jetsons. Oh, I'm sorry. We'll get to the back in just a minute. No, I'm kidding. Elroy, which means the God who sees me. And there were so many more. There were so many more other names that the Israelites had for God based on the characteristics of God because they wouldn't use the name Yahweh. It was so sacred that they wouldn't say it out loud. And if perhaps the priests or the Levites who were in charge of religious duties and worked in the temple, if by chance they said the name, they would whisper it. They would whisper the name Yahweh. It was that sacred. They would say almost anything, but they wouldn't say the name Yahweh. In fact, instead of writing down Yahweh, instead of, instead of saying, they would, they would actually use another name for God, Adonai. Adonai, which means mighty. It means mighty and Lord. Lord, L-O-R-A-D. And, and, and let's just take a sidestep real quick. In some of your Bibles, the word Lord is all capitalized. Capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. And here's why. Anytime that you see the word Lord all capitalized, all caps, Lord, it is understood that it is the word for Adonai. Or it is the word for Yahweh. When you read, hear, O Israel, the Lord, they did not even want to write Yahweh. But if you look in the Hebrew, that's what it is. Hear, O Israel, the Yahweh is our God. Yahweh is one. So anytime you see that in all caps, Lord, it's the name of God represented. Now, throughout the Bible, you're going to read other times where it says Lord, okay, L-O-R-D, lowercase, and, and, which is true because they would use that word Lord as, as in like a king, right? You, you've watched old English movies, and you say, hello, my Lord, the king, right? It's that, or, or maybe it's a relationship between a, a, a master and his slave, or Lord could even be the relationship between a shepherd and his sheep. But when you see it all caps, it represents the name of God. But that name is so sacred that they wouldn't even write it out. So whether it's Yahweh or Adonai or Lord, they all come back to the one word of the one who was and the one who is and the one who is to come God hear O Israel the Lord our God the Lord is one Amen. one 
Now that's an interesting thought to us, right? The Lord is one. Why would they need to write the Lord is one? Because in that time and in that culture and in other countries, they didn't have just one God. They had many gods. Where the Israelites came from, Canaan, they had a lot of gods. The country they were just enslaved in, Egypt, had a ton of gods. And now they're leaving Egypt and going to the promised land, which is in Canaan. So they're going back to a land that has a lot of gods. And you would base your worship of a God. You could worship in those lands, Egypt, Canaan, other countries. You could worship any God you wanted to worship. And you would worship a God based on what you needed at that moment in time. If you wanted to have a baby, you would worship the God of fertility. If you wanted God to bless the seeds that you are planting, you would worship the God of the harvest. You would worship the God of the sun, which one Pharaoh tried to do away with all of the rest of the, of the gods and make the one sun God the God, which Egypt rejected. They wanted all of their other gods. They would worship the sun, they'd worship the moon, and on and on it would go. And so for God, for the Israelites to announce, Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one, is a huge statement. In fact, we see this worship of other gods in the Apostle Paul's writings. In Acts chapter 17, verses 22 and 23, It says, Paul then stood up in the meeting of the Areopagus and said, people of Athens, I see that in every way you are very religious. For I walked around and looked carefully at your objects of worship. Now, remember, okay, that in Greece they had a ton of gods. And they believed that there was one God that ruled over all of these gods. And that God was Zeus. Zeus was the chief God over all of the other gods. And so as Paul is walking around Athens in Greece, he is acknowledging the fact that they have a lot of gods. He said, I have seen the objects of your worship. And then he makes this statement. He says, I even found an altar with this inscription to an unknown God. So you are ignorant of the very thing you worship. And this is what I'm going to proclaim to you, to an unknown God. They wanted to cover all their bases. They wanted to make sure that just in case they missed one God, if there was a God out there they didn't know of, they didn't remember, they didn't see, they didn't, they made an altar just in case to an unknown God. And they worshiped something they didn't know. And Paul says, I know what it is that you're missing. I know that unknown God. But we see that even in the New Testament, there is this worship of all of these other gods. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. What is Moses communicating in this sentence? 
Moses is communicating in this sentence to every single Israelite when they pray this in the morning and they pray it at night. He is helping them to remember and acknowledge that their God is the only God because there is only one God. Let me let that sink in. Because not only was that true for the Jews who were about to embark on wandering around in the desert for 40 years on their way to the land that God had promised to their forefathers and mothers, it's true for you and for me today. Their God is the only God because there is only one God. Now, this is kind of a safe space to say this right here. But in the world we live in, the culture surrounding us says that there are many ways to God. Unfortunately, there are some people that believe that all roads lead to God. But God took that out of the mix. In fact, Jesus himself God in the flesh, God incarnate, made a tremendous statement when he said this. I'm sorry. Let me back up, okay? I forgot something that's really cool here, okay? So when God gave the Israelites the commandments at Mount Sinai, he gave them one commandment that undergirded everything that the Shema is based on. You will have no other gods before me. There are no other gods. There's no God but me. I'm it. I'm the one. Okay? And God will not share our hearts with any other God. God will not share us. He will not share his place with any other God. In fact, he says that in the second commandment where he says there will be no images of anything else to worship. I'm it. I'm God. You can't see me. You can't make an image of me. And there are no other gods but me. In fact, God undergirds that statement by saying something that most of us don't know about him. At the end of that second commandment, when he says, There are to be no images. He says, for I, the Lord, your God, am a jealous God. I am a jealous God. In fact, this isn't the only time that it's said in Scripture that God is jealous. All right? Uh, In Joshua, Joshua writes that God is a holy God. He is a jealous God. In Exodus 34, down the line a little bit further, it says, Do not worship any other God, for the Lord whose name is Jealous is a jealous God. And in Exodus, one more time, we see that. Time and again, he's a jealous God. And I love that. Whose name is Jealous, he is a jealous God. And we go to Deuteronomy 4.24 that says, For the Lord your God is a consuming fire a jealous god when i was a youth pastor way back in the day i remember we took our adult leaders um and we went out we were just hanging out together and we having some fun adult leaders okay 
And so we went on this hayride, all of all these adult leaders. And I was sitting on the back end of, of the trailer um, of the hayride. And my wife, Sean, was sitting at the front end, closest to the vehicle that was pulling us. And there was a guy by the name of Carl who was also up at the front end. And Carl's kind of a big guy, like six foot two, pretty, pretty stout. And he decided he wanted to kind of harass me a little bit. And so he's like, hey, Doug. And he's like holding uh, straw or hay over Sean. And I look at him like, Carl, don't do that. And I turned around and I thought if I just ignored him, it would go away. And I said, don't do that, Carl. And I just turned around and kept talking to another friend of mine, Brad. And, uh, and Carl's like, hey, Doug. And he's like holding straw over her head. And I turned around and I said, Carl, don't do that. And then finally, I think he kind of grabbed her. And he had straw in his hand. And I became ungodly. I got up at the front of the trailer. I went straight to the back of the trailer and I dove on six foot two Carl. And I wasn't doing it for fun and I wasn't joking around. I was not happy with Carl at this moment. And I'm proud to say I was on top of Carl for like a couple of minutes as we wrestled around in the hay, which sounds awkward when I say that. But. I, you know, we're wrestling. And I finally had him like, don't, don't do it, or something like that. And I got up and I went and sat down at the back of the trailer again. And it was really quiet on that hayride for a little while. A little awkward for a little while on that hayride. And when it was all said and done, Carl kind of pulled me to the side. And he said, hey, man, I'm sorry. He said, I've been trying. I can't believe you said He said, I've been trying to figure out how to push your buttons. Who does that? He said, I've been trying to figure out how to push your buttons, and that's what I was doing. And I told him, I said, you can mess with me all you want. I really did. I said to him, you can mess with me all you want, but do not mess with my family. And in that moment, I was angry because of what he was doing around my wife. I was a consuming fire. And I was jealous. I don't want you messing with my wife. And that's how God is for us. God loves you with a jealous love. It's not that God gets angry by the fact that we serve other gods like money or position in the company. He's not jealous because we focus all of our attention on our children. No, there's only one place in our hearts and that place belongs to God. And God is jealous for that relationship with God you there are surely other gods that you and I can recognize right gods that take up our time that take our attention that take our focus 
And slowly but surely, decision by little decision, compromise by compromise, we allow, and actually don't allow, we kind of push gently God from the center. And God says no. And in that moment, Moses is helping the children of Israel to remember, hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God. The Lord is one. And as I started to say before, I mean, there are a lot of different gods trying to take his place. And we have heard the different sayings of, well, all roads lead to heaven. Or, you know, many paths lead to God. And God says, no, that is not true. And as I started to say before, Jesus is the one who made the boldest statement when he said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. I know it's unpopular. I know that people want to say, like the people of Athens, well, there are a lot of different gods, and just in case I don't recognize them, I'll pray to an unknown God. And Jesus said, there's only one God. Moses repeated and had the Israelites pray, there is only one God. That's it. That's it. And that is why they would pray, hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God. The Lord is one. Every single day they were making a statement of loyalty to God. Every single day they're making a statement of faith in God. Every single day they're making a statement of a relationship between themselves and their one God. Every single day they were reminded of who God is and here is why. Because God committed to them every single day day in the same way he commits to you and to me and so we're going to change this verse just a little bit from here O Israel the Lord is our God the Lord is one to this here O lighthouse the Lord is our God the Lord is one it's a reminder when we pray that that there is only one God who can save us. Yes. While we may worship the God of money, while we may worship the God of relationships, while we may worship the God of TikTok or, or Instagram, while we may worship the God of rising in the cup, while we may worship the God of our children or grandchildren, those gods will never save us. And they never can. There's only one God. And He is the Lord. Here, O lighthouse, the Lord is our God. The Lord is one. And we're reminded of that. We pray the Shema. And I pray it, I do, I pray it just about every night. When I go to bed, in fact, Sean and I have kind of started a rhythm that when we're in bed together and we lay down and we're getting ready to go to sleep, we pray this together. 
And I would encourage those of you who are married that you would begin to pray this prayer together the last thing you do at night. And if you get up at the same time in the morning, which Sean and I don't typically, I'd encourage you to pray it in the morning. Hear, O lighthouse. Or in our case, we might just start praying, Hear, O swink family. The Lord is our God. The Lord is one. How cool would that be if you gathered your kids around you or your grandkids and you began to teach them? Cody, I'm thinking about Ivy and Rosalie, that that would be such an incredible thing if you just began every day when they went to bed. Hear, O Reed family. The Lord is our God. The Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. Three questions. Three questions for you to ponder. The band's going to make their way up here, and we're going to sing Cornerstone because the Lord is our God. The Lord is our cornerstone. The first question is, who is God to you? Who is God to you? It's the question the Israelites had to answer. It's why the Shema became so important that it answered that question. The Lord is our God. The Lord is one. Second question is, are there other gods in your life? Answering that question seriously. Look at your wallet. Look at your checkbook. Look at your your calendar. Where are you spending your time? Where are you spending your money? Where are you spending your uh, energy? Because most of the time, it's on our God. And the third question is, what is the Holy Spirit saying to you right now? Would you stand up with me? God, thank you so much for this time together. Thank you for the reminder that while the culture and society we live in say that all roads lead to God, we know that can't possibly be true. Because Jesus is either who he said he is, the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father but through him, or he's a liar, and he's not God, and not all roads lead to heaven. But today, those of us who are Jesus' followers, we proclaim that you are the Lord our God, and you are one. You are our cornerstone. And we give you all the glory and all the praise. And we pray these things in your name, Jesus. In your power, Holy Spirit.